Medics Money is not just for doctors in England. We also cover the whole United Kingdom. And on today's podcast, we are joined by a financial advisor from Northern Ireland. And this is a really interesting discussion about whether there's much difference between finances for doctors in Northern Ireland. And if you're interested in cost of living and reducing your house price expenditure, then definitely check that out. But we also just go through the basics of what you can expect when you go to a financial advisor, what they can help you with, what they can't help you with. And then we talk a bit about building a safe and sustainable investing strategy for the long term. And again, we go into the differences between the pension between the 95, the 2008 and the 2015 scheme. And if you're in the 2015 scheme and you haven't worked out what the problem is there with early retirement, you definitely need to listen to this podcast. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Guilfoyle, who is an independent financial advisor that specializes in doctors based in Northern Ireland. Hi, Michael. Hello, Tommy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks Good. for coming on the podcast. And as I said, you're based in Northern Ireland, which is yeah. brilliant for us because it yeah. means we can help our colleagues in Northern Ireland as well. Yes. Could you give us a bit of background about how you got into advising doctors? Oh, yes. All those years ago, Tommy, I was offered a job with BMA Services. They had financial services and I joined them at 1997 and spent five years there learning a lot about doctors, not only the hard facts, you know, such as the NHS pension scheme and the career structure, but just about doctors in general. And spent five years there and then decided that I wanted to set up my own practice. Set up my own practice about, at that time, about 100 doctors came with me, which was great because it was almost like a I suppose they were saying, yeah, I want to stay with you. You've done a good job for the years that you were with BMA Services and I want to continue taking advice from you. So that was great and spent the next 10 years as a sole practitioner, then joined Fairstone Financial Management about seven years ago. So they're a national firm. They're based both in Northern Ireland. We have two branches here. And they have about 30 branches in the UK and Scotland. Brilliant. And the main reason I wanted to talk to you today is, are there any key differences in doctors' finances in Northern Ireland compared to the mainland? I don't think there's any key differences. And all the doctors face the same challenges financially. The only difference that I do see is that house prices in Northern Ireland are a lot cheaper than they are on the mainland. And what that means effectively is the the clients, the, the clients that I have more net disposable income on a month-to-month basis. So that gives them more choices around what they do with that money. So that might be you know, for savings, or it might be for protecting themselves in the event of the unforeseen. So I think that's the key difference. But everything else, the challenges that the doctors face in the mainland are the exact same as what's faced in Northern Ireland. 
Yeah, okay. And so imagine I'm a doctor based in Northern Ireland and I come to you for the first meeting. Yeah. I mean, what, because as doctors, we're not often taught about what financial advisors do and what is financial planning. So I come to you, what are we going to do at the first meeting? Okay. Well, I would describe the first meeting a little bit like a discovery meeting, Tommy. And it normally takes an hour. It's at our expense. We asked the prospective client to do some homework for us before that. What we do is we collect personal financial data from the clients. We review existing protection plans and investments if that's applicable. We'll prioritize the client's needs, that's their financial planning needs. And we'll agree a budget depending on the needs that are identified. It's really that simple of the first meeting, Tommy. Yeah. And I think everybody's finances are basically unique to them. So it's great that you can just tailor what they need for them. The cost of living is basically lower in Northern Ireland because of house prices, which sounds amazing. I'm going to get on right move and see what the situation is. But that means that your clients, you said, generally have a bit more free cash flow, which is great yeah. for them. Yeah. And you mentioned that you help them to invest that. Yes. So when your doctors come to you, what are they generally looking to save or invest for? Yeah, I think there are two main challenges that I see and are typical for all doctors. One, if they have children, is third level education costs. The second one, and I'm not prioritizing those in any order, the second one is early retirement. And even for younger junior doctors, something that I wouldn't have seen previously, they're looking at their retirement age. And I think really why that is more pronounced now than it was previously is because their pension age from the NHS is matched to the state pension age. So that could either be, depending on their age now, 66, 67 or 68. And I'm sure any doctors listening to this will concur that they're highly unlikely to work, certainly in the capacity that they work now at 65, 66, or 67. So they're looking at what I would describe as options. So they might want to retire earlier at 60. They may want to retire in a reduced capacity, but they're going to need additional funds in order to do that. Or some of them just want the choice of having the choice to retire early or reduce their hours. Some might work to 67, but based on the pressures in the NHS now, I see that as highly unlikely going forward. Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think this is something which is unfortunately slowly but surely dawning on doctors. And that is that in the 2015 NHS pension scheme, your retirement age is linked to state retirement age. And so for me at the moment, that's 68. And I do not want to work till 68. And so if you realize that you don't want to work till 68, you need to get a plan to fill in the gap, basically, is what you're saying, between your desired retirement age and your actual retirement age. Is that right? Absolutely, Tommy. Um, The key to it is starting as early as possible. That's, you know, the earlier you start, potentially the less you're going to have to save for that very long-term savings objective. 
So, you know, a lot of doctors come to me too late. They just don't have the capacity or the budget to put the plan of money in place to achieve the objective at their chosen or, you know, their expected retirement age. So, you know, the key to it is planning early and reviewing that on a regular basis. Yeah. And hopefully things like this podcast are going to help people to start planning earlier because they're going to realize that in the 2015 scheme, retirement age is linked to the state retirement age. And if you don't have a plan to fill that gap, then you've got maybe a problem. So when you're talking to your clients about you know, a saving strategy. Yeah. What do you say to them? What guidance could you give today to podcast listeners? Yeah, I think really the key to it is there are a number of issues that I take into consideration. And they're the same issues that somebody that wants to do this on their own should be taken into consideration as well if they don't want to employ a financial advisor to do it. So they need to look at the time scales. Uh, that are involved for investing. And what I mean by that is the longer the time scale, potentially the greater the risk that you can take with your investment because you can ride out the peaks and troughs in the investment market. The shorter the time scale, the less risk you can really take with that particular savings objective. The problem is the lower the risk, potentially the lower the returns are, the higher the risk, potentially the higher returns you will get over the longer term. But attitude to risk is very important. We have a detailed questionnaire that we use as a starting point to your risk profile. We measure risk on a one to 10 basis, one obviously being the least riskiest, 10 being the highest. And, you know, you may come out as a five, but, you know, that's just a starting point. Then we have to discuss the client's capacity for loss. So if they're investing money, how much can they afford to lose without it having an impact on them, either now or in the future? And that capacity for loss is just as important as attitude to risk. Also take into consideration the tax position of the client. And if there are existing investments, it's very important that we review those to see whether they're fit for purpose or whether they're going to help with the savings objective in mind. So that's those are the five key areas, as I see it, that need to be discussed with the clients. Yeah. And I think matching your risk tolerance to a suitable portfolio of investments to you is totally key because yeah. if you get that wrong, the first time that the market goes down, and it will because that's just what happens naturally, yeah. most of the time it goes up, not advice, but sometimes it goes down. Yeah. Then if you get that risk wrong, that's where you can make panic decisions and sell when the market's down. And that's a disaster. I mean, that's basically what you help us not to do, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the key to it is, you know, the markets are very volatile at the minute. And I've had very few phone calls from clients saying to me, you know, over the last four or five months, what's happening with the market? And I think the key to that is, the, I don't say this, you know, in a condescending sort of way. It's all about education. If the conversation that we have with the client around time scales and attitude to risk, you know, capacity for loss and also tolerance for loss as well. If those are discussed and documented fully, you know, the client will be at ease at any annual review. If we say, for instance, well, you know, the portfolio is down this year, it's down X percent and the client nods and, you know, they understand because we go back over the risk profile again and we go back over their capacity for loss. So it's really, you know, educating and also 
giving the client peace of mind at review stage that everything is in order and that you don't change the plan and you don't sell down unless there's you know really really good reasons for that normally there isn't in practice yeah great advice and i think that's where benefit of financial advice really comes in to sort of help you from not making mistakes because when you've worked hard to earn that money and you see it down 15% as it may be yeah. right now you know it is easy to panic unless you've gone through that process and you know how it's all going to plan out it's matched your portfolio is matched to your risk tolerance and capacity for loss as well so that's really good so you've set your savings goals and yeah. you've got your portfolio sort of you've done your risk questionnaire and stuff then what happens do you go off and do the research into what's right for the client or what happens next okay i first of all the research into any products or funds is carried out by our investment team at head office so i don't get involved in that and uh you know to an extent that's not really my job my job is to plan for the clients you know the financial plan listen to the client's objectives then put a plan in place that matches those objectives now the key to head office doing all the research it obviously frees up more time for me to meet with clients but secondly i'm very confident that if i need to choose a product or a fund if that's the most appropriate advice for the client's objective that is the right product and it's the right fund so i don't carry out any research i'm the planner at the end of the day what's the next steps after that at the end of the first meeting it's green what objectives prioritizing those objectives and agreeing the ones that you want to address then what I do is write up the client notes. I give it to one of our power planners here and the report's produced. I check the report. What the report really looks at, it gives you an overview to the client's position. Now it reiterates the client's risk profile and capacity for loss. It includes all the recommendations. If it's an investment recommendation, if it's a protection recommendation, obviously there'd be nothing in relation to risk profiles. And it will then tell you what needs to be done next. So typically we'll have a second meeting. The client will have already received the report. They'll have read the report. They may have some questions. We'll answer those questions. And then what we do is we complete all the paperwork on behalf of the clients, and then we implement the plan at that stage. So the client has nothing other to do and fill the application forms in. And I'm sure, Tommy, you will agree with me that most doctors just love that because, you know, they're very time poor. They employ somebody else to do that work and they just want it sorted as quickly as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think most doctors would rather focus on what they're good at, which is looking after their patients. And in my experience, doctors don't make great investment managers or investors <laughs> on their <No>. own. <laughs> but that's a subject for another day. Okay, so... You've done all that. You've implemented the plan. Yeah. Then what? Do you just leave them to it or how does it work? It depends on the client's circumstances and also their needs. We have three service levels. So our first service level is on demand. And on demand quite simply means that, you know, we, make, we, we do all the things that I've already outlined to you but there is no regular review service, okay? So whilst the client wishes to remain within first room, they can, but it's up to them to approach us for the next need that they may have. 
and then we'll go through the exact same process again. Typically, for on-demand, it's clients that have protection needs, but don't either want to or can't review investment or pension needs at this time. Or it could be clients that have protection needs, but also have you know, investment needs that are relatively small investment needs at this stage. And there's not a lot of risk for the client or for us as a company to say to them, look, at you don't need to have regular reviews for this. Just come back to us if you feel your circumstances have changed and then we review it at that stage. That could be two years down the line. It could be three years down the line. After that, we've got what's known as active plan. Quite simply, the client will receive an annual report. The annual report will reconfirm risk profile, capacity for loss, give an overview to how the investment or investments have performed over the last year against a relevant benchmark, and then ask the clients to contact us if their circumstances have changed, because if their circumstances have changed, it could have an impact on the original plan. And then we have what's known as Active Plan Plus. That's typically for clients with complex needs. That's clients that have potentially inheritance tax issues, also have pension issues with the NHS. So we would typically meet them on a face-to-face basis in the office here, go through the original plan again, go through the investments, give the client an overview to those investments, and also produce the report confirming again attitude to risk, tolerance, capacity for loss, and how the investments have performed over the previous year. So that's really the service levels that are available. I like that. It sounds really flexible. You can just tailor it to what the client needs. And do you let the client choose that or do you give them a bit of a nudge and say, look? Yeah. Do you know, it's a little bit of both, Tommy. We discussed the service levels in detail, but I would almost always know at the end of the first meeting where the client best fits. And I will explain the reasons why. Now, if they feel, well, actually, Michael, I prefer to be X rather than at Y. I'll have a discussion around that, obviously explain the costs that are involved in doing that. And then they might say, okay, then uh, we'll go with that. So it's a little bit of both, but you know, typically, Tommy, I would know at the end of the first meeting where the client fits in terms of service levels. Yeah, I like it. I think it's really good to just go through how the process works. Because like I said, no one really teaches us this or what to expect from a financial advisor. So that was really great to go through that process. And basically, we just focused on investing. We didn't even talk about pensions or protection. But let's not talk about pensions today. No. (laughs) So you've been advising doctors for a few years, I think it's fair to say. Thanks, Tommy. (laughs) Well, you said that you started in 97 and I was thinking I hadn't left school in 97, (laughs) but I didn't want to say that, but I did now. So you must have seen a few kind of common mistakes that maybe everybody makes that you help fix. And I like to learn from my own mistakes, but I like to learn from other people's mistakes even better because it means I don't have to make them in the first place. So common things that you see us as doctors do wrong and yeah. Or maybe not do at all, Tom. <laughs> yep. Yeah. First of all, I think for even junior doctors, it is essential to have what I call the foundations of a good financial plan in place. 
That means protecting your income in the event of ill health. It means having an element of critical illness cover in place to cover any liabilities that you have. And if you have a family, even as a younger doctor, that they are adequately protected in the event of death. So, you know, I see a lot of doctors coming to me at 30, 31, 32, with absolutely no protection in place. And I find that astounding when, you know, most doctors are dealing with people on a day-to-day basis that aren't well and probably know the implications of that should they not be well themselves if they're not well and the impact that that can have financially. So that's the first thing. The second one, and you've alluded to it already, is investing on their own. It's, you know, it's something that I wouldn't recommend. There's a lot of time involved and if you've got the time, and you are prepared to do a lot of reading and you're prepared to look at the markets on a daily basis, well, you know, do that. But I've seen some really big mistakes with clients that invest on their own. They don't understand risk. They don't understand capacity for loss. And it can be frightening sometimes what you say. And then you have to try and repair that. So I would always say to clients, have a review meeting. You know, some of those review meetings at the end of them, I might say to the client, look, I can't add value here at this stage, but these are some of the things that I would recommend that you consider going forward. And I think the third thing that we see is clients leaving it too late with savings objectives. You know, I already alluded to wanting to retire early. This was never a problem for clients that remain or were in the 1995 scheme where the retirement age was age 60. There was an entitlement to tax-free cash as well. But, you know, if you're in the 2015 scheme and you're looking to retire early, you need to start planning now. Simple as that. Great tips there. Hopefully that was useful. Like I said, I always like to learn from other people's mistakes. So that was brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. I'll put your contact details below. Thank you. I hope that we're going to do another podcast really soon with an accountancy firm about just explaining who does what with the pension because it is complex. What does the accountant do? What does the financial advisor do? So I look forward to recording that one in the near future. Yeah, great, Tommy. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Take care. Thank you. Bye.